I love those words that we just sang, worthy is the Lamb. John the Baptist saw Jesus walking towards him, and he said, what, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I greet you this morning in the name of the Lamb. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a delight to be together in God's house. If you are visiting with us, this is your first time. A special welcome to you. Um, as you saw in the bulletin, and Jay uh, made mention, uh, if you're, you're relatively new to Big Woods, we do invite you, my wife and I, uh, to our home uh, a week from tonight. We, we filled Friday night and, and filled Saturday night, and so we made another night because we want to get to know new folks um, at Big Woods. It is so important because relationships uh, are really key. That's what we're focusing on here at Big Woods. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me to Galatians, the book of Galatians. We're going to launch a new series today. Our text will be um, in chapter 1, verse 1, just down through verse 5, as we introduce the study in Galatians, what I call, what we will be uh, learning, the importance of being forever free, direct connection to being free in Christ, being Free through Christ. Once you found that, would you, uh, would you bow your heads in and pray with me, please? Father, I am so grateful for this time that you have arranged for us to be together in, in, in your house here. I thank you, Lord, for providing this place for us. I thank you for every single person that is here. And Father, as we come before you, as we are bowed in your presence, we acknowledge who you are. You were the lamb that was slain in our place. We deserve to suffer and die. And yet, Lord, you, you sacrificed yourself in our place. And we, we want to pause and we just want to extend our appreciation, our thanksgiving, and our love for you for doing that for us. Father, I pray, Lord, for each person that is here today, and I would pray, Lord, that in a unique and a wonderful way that you would just anoint this entire service as we've been able to lift up our, our voices to you and our hands to you in praise, that now, Lord, we hear from you through your word to us. Speak, and may we hear. May we have our hearts challenged, and, Lord willing, the beginning of our lives being changed to follow you. Lord, I, I pray right now for the Strobe family. I think of Christy with the loss of her, her mom this week, and I would ask that you'd minister comfort as, as only you can. Father, I lift up our high school students as they're on the retreat for this weekend. I, I pray for all the youth leaders, and especially Pastor Nick and Ashley. And We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing um, in the lives of young people. Lord, I pray for this community that is ensnared, many caught in sin and, and blinded in their sinfulness. God, that you would open their eyes and that you would draw them unto yourself and that you would use us in any capacity that you see fit. Father, we desperately want to, to move and, and speak for your glory. And God, I would ask that you would direct us to do that accordingly. And now, Lord, please guide my own words that they be your very words. 
and yours alone, that you be glorified. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. One of the first things that I have learned as I've begun to study on the letter of Galatians is that whoever has studied this book, who has ever written on this book, Galatians is amazingly precious to all those who study it. And I trust that is my prayer that this book, the book of Galatians, would become precious to you. Biblical scholars have referred to the book of Galatians as the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Others have referred to Galatians as the battle cry of the Reformation. Someone else wrote that Galatians is the Christian's declaration of independence. Martin Luther says of Galatians, it is, it is my epistle. To it, I am, as it were, in wedlock. It is my Catherine. Okay, that's just kind of weird. But it talks about the fact that he loved this book. That many who search the depth of this book fall in love. Why? It's the sincerity combined with the practicality that has made the book of Galatians a favorite amongst many. It's favorite because really its message is twofold. Number one, it, it firms up the truth. Galatians firms up that which is true. And it also frees us from that which is untruth. I don't know about you, but don't you think that, that truth is needed today? It seems that truth is a valuable commodity. Because many people in our world today have a, a great, and I would say, a grave misunderstanding about what truth is. Many people in our world today would say that there is no absolute truth. You really can't know anything for a certain. And so everything becomes relative. Many people would say that if you want it to be true, if you really want this to be true, then, then it must be true. People think today that because they read something in a book or, or see it on the Internet or, or hear it on television, that it must be true. Just this past week, I was reading in our, in our very own local newspaper where someone wrote in, and again, it was the exact same old angry rant. It says, there is no proof of God. There is no proof of Jesus. There's no proof that the Bible is true. And there's no proof that any one of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, even existed. And the proof that was given for there being no proof was this. It actually said it at the bottom of the article. You can Google it. I read it and I actually, I thought this can't be. I went back and, and I had to read it again and it said that. The proof of there being no uh, proof it's the fact that you can Google it. I, that, I don't think so. As a matter of fact, I tested this theory. I Googled this. What has been in the news last, what, 15, 16 days now? I Googled this, exact same thing. Malaysian Airlines flight 370 taken by aliens. I actually Googled it. I put that right in. Enter. Get this. 46,900,000 hits came up. At the very top 
Actually, I think it was number two or three, the very top of the list. Here it is. The Stargate explanation for Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. Okay, this is what has happened. A teleportation portal. A teleportation portal of some kind exists in the skies through which the plane inadvertently flew and was teleported somewhere else. Call the search off. (laughs) Send the, the planes and the ships home so people can be with their families, right? No, no, no. Hold on with me on this, okay? I have to tell you something. Star Trek is not true. (laughs) Just because someone really, really wants to believe it does not make it true. Just because you read it online does not make it true. Just because you really, 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 really want this, that does not make it true. The Lord Jesus Christ himself says this. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. And what is interesting is that there's a lot of people in this world that don't have a problem with that. Everyone would say that. Walk to the, walk into the main lobby. It's referred to as the tower of the University of Texas and etched in granite above are the words, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Walk into the lobby at the Central Intelligence Agency in Langley, Virginia, and etched in marble on the side wall are the words, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Go to the library at Howard University in Washington, D.C., and you will find etched in granite, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Everyone seems okay with that. The problem is this. They never etch in stone the words that precede that. The very words that come before that. It says this, if, if, conditional. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. How come we've not etched that in the grant before the phrase that everyone's cool with? Which means what? There's this connection between the word and the truth, the truth and the words. You see, this book, Galatians, that we're studying speaks about that which is true and how we can be free in the truth. There's five words in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 that will serve as a theme throughout our entire study. Here it is. Five words that will serve as a theme for entire study for the book of Galatians. Christ has set us free. Remember that. It's, it's a theme. It will run, it will run all the way through. You, you see, I, I have seen with my own eyes the lives of people transformed through the truth of the gospel. I have heard with my own ears the testimonies of people who have been set free, whose lives have been completely transformed through the truth 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is true. Sadly, a lot of people think that their hope of heaven is contingent upon personal performance. I've got to do certain things. And so you better arrive at church at the right time. You better attend the, the, the right church and be dressed the right way and say the right words and, and walk an aisle and say the exact phrase of, of a particular prayer in order to make it to heaven. Some people say that you have to, to smile or give or, or serve. People, it, it, it's not true. It doesn't work like that. We will see the author, the book of Galatians tells us, states very, very clearly that Jesus Christ and, and the work that he accomplished on the cross is sufficient for our salvation. There's nothing you can do to win it, to earn it, other than give your life entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ. You will see very clearly that the author states that that, that work of Christ, accepted by faith, literally frees us, unleashes us to live in God's grace. Rather than what? In a tight, restraining, restricting bondage of, of religious systems. You can study and you can read and you can research. You can Google every religion in the entire world. Every faith system, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Kabbalah, Scientology, Baha'i. Study every single one of them and you will realize that they will all teach you you've got to do something in order to hopefully win a spot in heaven or earn some kind of forgiveness. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not like that. And that's why this book, Galatians, is written. It, 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 it sets the record straight. It sets us free. Here it is, Galatians chapter 1, 1 through 5. Here's our text for this morning. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with him to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. A couple questions I I want us to to ask and answer as we learn this morning. The first one is this. I don't know about you, but I kind of asked the question, what's a Galatian? Let's just kind of start at the top. We're studying the book of Galatians. Well, what's a Galatian? Understand, it is a person who belongs to one of the churches, in this context, belongs to one of the churches in a region called Galatia. Okay, here it is. Galatia is a province in the first century Roman Empire in Central Asia Minor. Presently, it would be the country of Turkey. And in the southernmost region of Galatia, there were five churches that Paul actually visited and planted on his first missionary journey. We actually learned about this in Acts chapter 13 and 14 in our study a year ago, which I'm sure all of you remember very clearly. 
Five churches are Antioch, Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Written probably around 49 or 50 A.D. is this letter that addresses a significant problem that exists in these five churches. Second question, who's the author of Galatians? We'll begin right at the very top. Paul, wrong. Who's the author of Galatians? What well, says, but wrong. It says what? Second Timothy chapter three and verse sixteen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Who's the author of Galatians? God is. God breathed all of Scripture, and in this particular context, He does it through the pen and through the personality of one whose name is Paul. Understand that. This is the same Paul who, if you recall back in Acts chapter 9, was Saul the persecutor who met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, was completely transformed, and Saul the persecutor becomes Paul the the pastor and church planter. And it begins this tone that is somewhat different than his usual style. Paul's usual style would be, opening up with praise to God and prayer for the saints. But he doesn't do that. For some reason, he just dives right into it. There's, there's a sense of urgency here. Something, something's wrong, radically, dramatically wrong. So Paul has no time he has to address. He engages in a battle for the truth of the gospel and the freedom of the Christian life. There is nothing that is more urgent than that. One commentator, Warren Wiersbe, described the setting like this. False teachers were spreading a false gospel, which is a mixture of law and grace. And Paul is not going to stand by and do nothing. You see, there's no such thing as salvation by works and grace. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. So Paul addresses this, what? Utmost priority. Third question, why, why is the author qualified to write Galatians? Well, it says it right here in the very beginning. Paul is an apostle. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is defined as one who has been sent with a commission. Paul is highlighting, he's mentioning this because he emphasizes the fact that he has been commissioned not from man, not through man, but through the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father to preach the gospel with authority. He's establishing who he is and what his calling is and thus building a foundation of why he needs to be listened to. Note the office of an apostle is an extremely limited office. If you hear someone today, if you read about a church, and someone introduces himself as an apostle, automatically say, whoa, whoa, according to what we see in Scripture, the office of an apostle is limited to those who are directly chosen by Christ and were eyewitnesses. Namely, who? The, the apostles were the twelve disciples. When Judas was removed, Matthias took his place. But there's another apostle. Someone else met him face to face, Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus. Paul met Jesus face to face. Paul was what commissioned as an apostle. Three primary roles of an apostle. Number one is to lay the foundation of the church. That's what was happening through the disciples' ministry, through Paul's ministry. Number two was to speak and to write the very word of God. 
an authority that needs to be heeded, needs to be heard. And number three, to give confirmation of this word with signs and wonders. I believe that limited context as to who accomplishes these, these works or these miracles. Ephesians chapter 4 says why? He himself gave some to be apostles. 1 Corinthians 12, it says that God has appointed these in the church first apostles. And the reason that Paul is affirming his position as an apostle is he's affirming his authority because shortly after these five churches were planted, as soon as Paul left, there were people who came in who began to spread a false doctrine. There were Judaizers, there were Jewish Christians who believed that they were trying to mix doing good things or works with the message of grace. They're agitators. You know what an agitator is? It's that, it's that, it's that one tiny little bothersome thing that exists. Actually, this week, I got something in my eye. Normally, you get an eyelash in your eye, you rub it, you maybe rinse it, and it comes out. It didn't do that. And so, so it, it stayed in there, and I attempted to rinse it out and wash it down, and when you attempted to rinse it, it just stayed in there. And it gets sore and red, and it gets puffy. I had to get eye drops, and I almost, Died this week, probably. <laughs> Ding! It just irritates. That's exactly what has happened right here. There's people that have come into the church and they're, they're irritants. And Paul establishes what? His position validates his authority as one who says, my authority comes not from man, but from God's. It needs to be heard. The, the greeting here is, is somewhat... Typical by way of Pauline in, in style, because even in the urgency or even in the haste, he includes these two very important words. It says what? I write to you in grace, grace that comes only from God, and the peace that results from that grace. So in a sense, even in his greeting, Paul is addressing the importance of the, 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 the false teaching of the Judaizers' legalistic system. He's saying if salvation is by works... Okay, then it's not of grace. It has to be of grace. And if it's not of grace, how can it ever result in peace? Fourth question, here it is. And I think this is important for you and I today. How does the writing of Galatians affect me? I I would ask this question. Galatians, so what? There's a lot of stuff happening out there. Galatians, so what? What does the writing of Galatians have to do with you and I today? March 2014, busy lives, you're important, beautiful people, intelligent, you're needed, in demands. What does this book have to do with us? I remember uh, reading some time ago about a man, I think almost 10 years, he had a vision. And the vision was that he had a vision that if you just do it, get enough, and you do enough praying. And I thought a lot of people actually think that, that they're Doing something, just doing stuff is going to be rewarded by what? By this phrase we hear all the time, you know what? I see the light at the end of the... Just keep on. And I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I have to agree with the words of Dr. Joe Stoll. He says this, you know that light at the end of the tunnel? It's a freight train and it is heading right for you. That's the truth. Some would say, well, that's kind of pessimistic, isn't it? Like, aren't we supposed to come to church to feel good? Well, the truth is what? We are fallen people in a fallen world. 
We, ha- we have to acknowledge that. We have to understand that. We have to accept that. So what do we do? What do we do? It's basically four responses of what you and I can do as a result of living as fallen creatures. From Genesis chapter 3, we have fallen into sin. There's, there's basically four things that we can do. The choice is yours. You can make the choice today. The first thing that you could do is this. Party hard. Okay? You, what? You, you only live once. So there's this mentality that says, hey, whatever feels good, just do it. Take your chances and hope that hell is not as hot or that you're not going to be there as long as some people say. So there's option number one. Just party. Here's option number two. You can, you can do what a lot of other people have done. Just put your head in the sand. Build bunkers. Stockpile all the junk so that you got everything that you need around you. Pull the, the few people that you love in this world close to you. And what? Just let the rest of the world go to hell. It's another option. It's a third option that what? You can do, again, what a lot of people are doing. You can just pretend that everything is fine. Drink your orange juice in the morning. Enjoy your coffee. Go to work. Work hard. Mow your grass. And just hope that one day, somewhere down the road, you'll die old and warm in your bed. Or there's a fourth option. This is the one I would present that I think you should do. It's the one that I've done. It's the one that I know many people here have chosen to do. It doesn't, it doesn't sell well in this world. A lot of people just say, well, why aren't you partying? Why don't you just pretend all is well? Here's the fourth option that I would, I, I would consider. Put your faith in Christ. Which means you take your entire life, okay, this is, this is all it is right here, this is you, and you say what? Lord, I offer myself to you. I trust you. You see, there's a lot of people in this world that are in desperate need. They're doing, they're working, and they're scratching around, and they're trying to find peace in this life. They're trying to do things so that hopefully that, that this world becomes a better place, and, and hopefully they win a spot in heaven. People, you, you don't have to live like that. You can at this very moment put your faith in Christ. Why? Paul says it like this right here in verse 4. Look at these words. Paul says it's, it's, it's Christ alone who, what, who gave himself for our sins. Well, that's, that's needed. That's necessary. That's wonderful. But there's a purpose to that. He gave, what, himself for our sins. Here it is. To deliver us from the present evil age. You know that freight train that's heading right for us? That's the evilness of this world. And it says that Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us. That word deliver, rescue, ex thy. It, it actually is, it's not a direct deliverance from all that which is evil. It's not what you and I want. Like we pull the eject handle and all of a sudden it's rainbows and it's blue sky and we're floating. It's not that. Okay, it's not that type of, of deliverance or rescue. 
what it is, that's, that's what we want. But rather more specifically, it speaks about the fact that through Christ, through Christ, He is the only one who can set us free from the power of evil and the power of the values that are present in this world system. Christ can free us from that. So understand this truth. This is not an inoculation from evil influence, okay? We are still fallen people in a fallen world. So what is it? It's an ability to endure with hope and with joy in the midst of this evilness. Christ, what? Gave himself for our sins. Gave himself for your sins, for my sins, to deliver us from this present evil, evil age. Gives us the ability to endure in the hardships that you and I will inevitably face. We live, we move, we live in the middle of tumultuous problems. We live amongst troublesome people. And God gives us the strength to live in a way that is free in His grace. Let me ask you this. Do, do you go to Him? Have you gone to Christ? Have, have you offered your life entirely to Him? Are you still trying to, to do good things and just hope and, and maybe this whole thing is just going to turn out good in the long run and you don't really know for sure and you don't sleep at night? Do thou the Lord Jesus Christ to make a difference in your life and do you show others that Christ can make a difference because you have revealed to them the truth of the gospel? How does Galatians affect me? Let me tell you this. You can write this down. Galatians affects me by teaching the truth. I am forever free in Christ's work and not my own work. That's how this book affects us. That's how people fall in love with the book of Galatians. Paul concludes this little five-verse introduction with these words. According to the will of God, so think of it, Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. What? According to the will of our God and Father. According to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. What does that mean? It means this. God wants things that I don't want. That's my flesh. God actually wants things that I don't want. I want things that God doesn't want. And until those two things come closer together, it is impossible for me to do God's will. And we have to remember what? God is not going to change. God is not going to move. So guess who has to move? Guess who has to change? I do. I have to align my, my will with His. You have to align your will, align your life with His. We celebrate the communion table in, in just a moment. I thought about it. It's that very night, that very night that the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed and arrested. You remember, before he was arrested, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane alone. Those few disciples, those apostles that were close to him had fallen asleep. 
And he was alone. And he was lying face down. And he is in agony praying. He's praying so hard that actually he's bursting blood vessels that sweat and blood are dripping from his pores. He's praying to his heavenly father. He's praying to his own dad. He's saying, please take this cup of suffering. I don't want this. In myself, I don't want this. But then he says what? Nevertheless, not what I want. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus Christ aligned with the perfect will of his heavenly father and accomplished what needed to be accomplished for you and for me. That's what we need to do. I I often refer to it as this. We get into the wake. Think of a boat that moves. We get into the wake of what God's perfect will is. It's not about what you want. It's not about your will. It's about His will. Big idea, here it is. Jesus Christ is the only one who can free us from this current wicked world so we can accomplish the perfect will of our Heavenly Father. But he gives us the means to do that. He gives us the strength, the ability, through what was accomplished on the cross. Today we have a wonderful reminder of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me on the cross. Jesus actually taught this object lesson to his disciples right before he went to the cross. It's a good reminder for you and I who move what fast through life and, and, and we are busy and we forget things. And so that's why we have a visual reminder. Jesus Christ sitting, he took bread just like this loaf here today and he showed it to the disciples just like I'm showing it to you today. And he says, this bread right here, this is a picture of my body. It's actually not my body. Some may say that. That's not true. It's a symbol of my body. Jesus broke the bread in front of them and he showed it. And he said, just as this bread is broken, my body, my own body is going to be broken. And then he had these two words. My body is broken for you. You mean God loved me so much that he allowed his own body to be broken so my, my body didn't need to be? That's how much he loved you. He, he also, it says that he took fruit of the vine, he took some wine, he, he poured it out, and as he poured it out, he said this, this is a picture, it's a symbol. It's not actually his blood, it's a symbol of his blood. Why? Because the blood gives life. And by the shedding of the Lord Jesus Christ's blood on that cross, it gave life. It gave what? Freedom for you and I to live. What a wonderful, wonderful reminder. What an image. What a picture. And so we at at Big Woods, we stand upon the truth of God's Word. God's Word says, do this regularly in remembrance of me. Don't forget me. And so we can do that this morning. I invite you partake of the bread and the cup the communion table is a reminder of what Jesus Christ did he, he allowed his body to be broken he allowed his blood to be poured out without the shedding of blood there can be no remission, no forgiveness no payment for sins 
if you are a believer here today, you've acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior, which means, just as I was describing, you gave your life to him. Lord, I'm in your hands. And I invite you to partake of this. If you're not a member of Big Woods Bible Church, that's okay. All right? Being a member of Big Woods doesn't get you a spot in heaven. Being a member of the family of God gets you a spot in heaven. So if you are a believer, you are welcome to this. Please take this and celebrate this. But I want to be perfectly honest, and I don't want to be rude. If you've not offered your life to Jesus Christ, if you've not recognized him as, as Lord of your life and the only Savior of the world, could I please be so honest to say, please don't take this? It, it, would, it, would, be, it would be meaningless. It would be silly for you to take that. It would be wrong for you to take it. And so please understand that this is for anyone who has acknowledged and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me also tell you this. At this very moment, at this very moment, you can make that decision. Sitting in your seat, you can, you can, in your own heart, you can say, Lords, I know who you are. I know that you're the only one who could pay for my sin. And I receive you into my life and I want you to be Lord. If you make that decision, this is for you. It's in your heart. I'm going to ask the elders to come, man, if you would please come and, and prepare to serve this to you. We're going to bring to you first the, the bread and then we're going to ask God's blessing on the bread and the cup together and then we're going to partake of that. Just as a family would celebrate and eat together, we're going to take this and share this with one another.